blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello, everybody out there in Avalanche land. We're coming to you on a windy Sunday afternoon here in the Mile High City. This is a new episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We've got a lot to get into, Arif, here. Um, you know, not much action as we expected, I think. When You know, last week we had the whole calm before the storm, but the, the avalanche managed to make a bit of a splash here this week. They did, and they actually went out and acquired Kyle Burrows from the New York Islanders for A.J. Greer. And uh, I'm ready to talk about that for the next hour and a half. <laughs> it's it's crazy how much the Avalanche actually shored up the uh, AHL squad here. I mean, they just made a minor splash there with the NHL group, but it seems like the uh, the Eagles are going to have quite a strong offensive group there. It looks like it, and you know, I love that you said the Eagles are going to have a strong offensive group because all I do when I look at guys like that is say, so when the Avs are seven or eight injuries deep, uh, Mike Vecchione. And Kyle Burrows are going to be playing top six and, and top pairing minutes for the Avalanche against the Dallas Everybody Stars. knock on wood. Yeah, let's do I that. I just did. Yes. But let's get into the uh, bigger trade, right? And that's Brandon Saad coming over to the Avalanche for basically Nikita Zadorov. Um, let's, let's get into Brandon Saad first, and then we'll break down the Zadorov half of it. You know, we we know a bit about Saad. He's a top six forward. He plays well with stars. He can find the back of the net. Is there anything you can tell us about Brandon Saad that perhaps we don't know or just your analysis of the, of the trade overall? Brandon Saad to me is ultimately a more skilled version and a better scoring version of Matt Calvert. And if there's anything that the NHL playoffs and the Stanley Ooh, NHL playoffs, that sounds ugly. The Stanley Cup playoffs has taught us over the last few years. It's that you need those players to win the cup. Uh, the Avalanche a couple years ago when they had Alexander Kerfoot, he came out in the playoffs and kind of was this wrecking ball and it was like, holy crap, where did this come from? And then you started to realize that Kerfoot was kind of one of these players built for playoff hockey. If you can remember a decade ago, it was the same thing with TJ Galliardi. He just came out in the playoffs and it was like, whoa, that was great to see. That's kind of the kind of player Brandon Saad is. Although unlike Kerfoot, Galliardi, and even Calvert, the example I used, Saad scores a lot of goals. He scored 20 goals last year in 58 games, 21 goals in 58 games on a bad Chicago team. Uh, he's kind of been on a downward sw- spiral in terms of his offensive numbers uh, because he's been playing on bad teams. When you look at Brandon Saad's numbers, he's still a great player, and I think the most important aspect of, of him as a player not only is he a two-time Stanley Cup champion, but it, this was something that caught me off guard too. He's still only 27 years old. This guy can easily come in here and provide the same impact Nazem Kadri had, which is a 50-something point pace. Obviously, Kadri only reached 30-something because he only played 55 games. So you're looking at a 50-something point pace, a guy that's going to give you 20 to 25 goals and just play scrappy playoff hockey all year round. I like hearing your comparisons there. I'm going to give you my comparison. And essentially, he's 
Vladislav Nemestikov's replacement in the lineup. And honestly, I think they play a very similar style. He's maybe even an improvement on Nemestikov. You you go back to a lot of Saad's goals. He scores them around the net. He gets into those yep. quiet areas. He's kind of disappeared out of the defense's vision while they're kind of focusing on the stars, whether it's Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane, who he skated with both last year. Um, just jump in either line. So, um, you know, I, I like I like the idea that he's just a better version of Nemestikov. He's Nemestikov 2.0. I was a little bit disappointed to see Nemestikov go. We expected to see it, but I think Saad brings the exact same things to the table and does them a little bit better. I agree with that, and the crazy thing is about Saad. The crazy thing about Saad is we look at him and we automatically slot him in the top six, but holy crap, man. Like It's it's hard to imagine Joe Sackick doesn't go back to Taylor Hall and say, so one year, six and a half million. You want to do it? You'll be making more money than McKinnon. You'll play the top six and we'll put Saad on the third line and literally be the Nemesnikov replacement. It's just kind of crazy to see that the Avalanche have brought in this player who's a top six forward, but still have the cap space to do more and put him and slot him in a third line role where he'll ultimately he will succeed there. That's kind of the thing that worries me about bringing back Nichushkin and letting Nemesnikov go is Nichushkin is the kind of guy that if he's not getting the offensive or the power play minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not going to really succeed in his role. Saad doesn't strike me as that. Saad, no matter where you play him, he will succeed. He kills a lot of penalties. Uh, he plays on the power play. He plays, you know, that net front presence that you need. He will get in the dirty areas. He'll always stick up for his teammates. He's just the the exact type of guy that the Avs needed against the Dallas Stars, and now he's a part of their team and likely a top six forward. I know I'm throwing out the pipe dream with Taylor Hall, but that's ultimately where he's going to roll. Let's put a bookmark in Brandon Saad for now. We'll come back to him, but since you kind of jumped the gun and getting into Taylor Hall, I wanted to talk about it a little later, but let's go ahead and get into it now. So do you think that bringing in you, you don't seem to think that bringing in Brandon Saad is now effectively taking the Avalanche out of the Taylor Hall equation. I think it does for the most part. Uh, the Avalanche have a little over $9 million in salary cap space. And you have to re-sign Ryan Graves, who filed for arbitration, which we'll get to. And you have to replace Zadorov in the lineup. And then if you want to add Taylor Hall, you add Taylor Hall to that. So you're literally, and that's why I mentioned the number that I mentioned. You're not going to Taylor Hall anymore and saying, we'll give you big money. You're going to Taylor Hall and saying, you made $6 million last year. Come play for $6.5 million. We'll give you a big signing bonus up front. It's not a lot of money, but you will ultimately win a cup. And if you don't win a cup, you'll inflate your stats. Right. Hey, kid, how badly you want to win, right? But you know he's probably looking for term. If he could get the same price with longer term, I'm sure he'd be he'd rather jump I, at that. I don't think so. Taylor Hall, I mean, it's been kind of said among the insiders that right now he's not juggling the term thing as much as he's juggling an opportunity to win. So if Columbus comes to you or Buffalo comes to you or or the Predators come to you and offer you six, seven years, you have to think long and hard about if you believe those teams are going to win, which obviously you can truly say that about any one of those three teams eventually winning, even though Nashville's on a downward spiral. Uh, Columbus looks pretty good, but Buffalo is Buffalo. But you have to be able to really truly believe that. And I think that's where he's at. I think the Brandon Saad acquisition does, in fact, take the avalanche out of it. And I think that for two reasons. Uh, the first of which is just simply we've never the, the same point I made last week. We've never known the avalanche to spend up to the max. And secondly, it just strikes me as funny how long it's taken Taylor Hall to make a decision. You know, like I, I, I 
kind of feel like the Avalanche maybe reached out to him, said, here's our offer. You have until Saturday to take it, right? I mean, it seemed like that that was kind of the case because if we're out on Taylor Hall, we got to start moving on on somebody else. You know, I, I, I personally, I work in real estate as my real job. And when you send offers on a house, you tell people, hey, you have until 12 p.m. tomorrow to accept this. I almost feel like that was the case. They didn't hear back from Taylor Hall. He didn't make a decision. So they said, hey, it's time for us to move on and, and make sure that we don't leave our ourselves short of a, of a strong winger when you ultimately decide to go in a different direction and that's kind of the reason why st louis ultimately went out and gave tory krug six years uh, i was on the radio show with you and ryan bolding yesterday and i you know i i admitted that signing tory krug and losing petrangelo is a downgrade you're not going to get better replacing petrangelo with krug but the blues had no choice tory krug was the second big fish out there on the blue line behind Petrangelo. And if you're starting to feel that you're not going to get this guy signed, you need to figure it out and you need to get your replacement ASAP before the replacements are gone. It's a little bit different with Brandon Saad because at the same time, how many people are knocking on Chicago's door asking for him? I don't know. I don't know what the market was like. I don't know if other teams had a Nikita Zadorov to offer. Uh, so it wasn't a UFA that you're scared could be you know, picked up relatively quick. It wasn't a situation like the Edmonton Oilers where you somehow struck out on the goalie market and had to go back to Mike Smith and give him the same money he made last year. It wasn't that kind of a case, but it was just one of those things with Joe Sackick where he probably said, I need to shore up my lineup. I have other things to worry about. I have to get guys re-signed. I have to make other trades. Tyson Berry is still sort of hanging in in there somewhere. Don't know what's really going to happen with them. Um, but it looks like they went ahead and picked up Brandon Saad because ultimately they just couldn't wait any longer, uh, which kind of makes me feel like Taylor Hall sitting at home going, damn it, did I just ruin a good opportunity? Okay, fine, I'll take $6 million. Am I dreaming? I'm dreaming. I know I am, but it would be so cool. But but you like my theory, though. I yeah. mean, it was just a theory, but you oh, like it. Oh, absolutely. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. It gets to that point where... I mean, it's going to it's gonna be that way with Tyler Toffoli and Dadanov and Hoffman and all these guys waiting for Hall to sign before making their decision. Eventually, they're going to say, you know what? We don't need Hall to set the market. We need to take care of ourselves and not be the consolation prize. We need to be the first player to make a move. Well, let's get back to Brandon Saad now, keep breaking down his game. Um, like I said, he played a little bit with both Kane and Taves. I saw primarily his line mates were Andrew Shaw and and Jonathan Taves, which that's kind of a defensive line if you look at it, which I, I like that. I like the fact that he was trusted in defensive situations. He scored a, a handful of empty netters last year as well. Again, that's a defensive situation. They really trust him and his line to be out there when they need uh, you know, a, de a defensive stop. So I like that, that positioning from uh, Brandon Saad, and I know he also has that offensive capability where he plays a lot of power play too. He plays alongside these big guys because he knows how to play off of them, you know, and that's what I like about it. I really see him playing well with a guy like maybe Gabe Landeskog, who Gabe Landeskog's in the corners digging out the puck, and you'll find Saad yeah. right in front of the net in the quiet areas, completely unguarded. So that's what I like about and, his and game. right in the center, and right in the center of that line, you put Nazem Kadri and. And whoever plays against the line with Saad, Kadri, and Landeskog is, is going to be in for quite the surprise in terms of bumps, bruises, and ice packs, and a lot of Tylenol and Motrin, because that line is just going to beat I know, you up. I know our first inclination is to throw him right there with Kadri, but part of me makes me nervous because they're, they're extremely similar in players. I could just see you know Gabe Landeskog in the corner digging a puck, and you got Brandon Saad and Nazem Kadri sitting right in front of the net, just <laughs> almost covering each other. 
Well, you know, this is the cool thing with the Avalanche's lineup is it's a good problem to have because we constantly have that argument and, and and it was a topic of discussion three months ago now, which is kind of crazy when, when the return to play training camp began, phase three back in early July, July 12th. Burakovsky was playing on the top line with McKinnon Ranton, and then Landeskog was on the line with Kadri, and it was one of those things where it's a good problem to have. We can put Burakovsky up there, and when we want to switch him out, we slot him with you know we slot him back on the Kadri line. Bring Landis. Well, now you have Brandon Saad in that discussion as well. You can put Brandon Saad on the top line with McKinnon and Ranton in. If you want to swap him, you can swap him with Burakovsky. Not happy with that. Swap him with Landeskog. There's options, and and the top six ultimately, other than Kadri and McKinnon being your two centermen. You can do whatever the heck you want with the rest of the four, and that's what makes it really great right now with this team and the depth that they have in that in that top group. Yeah, I like that you bring up the Burakovsky comparison because I see a lot of similarities there. I mean, you look at what happened with the Burakovsky acquisition last year. He he's a he's another skilled winger, has some offensive capabilities, and then he comes to the Avalanche and has his best offensive season yet. While he's still relatively got a young career, I'm expecting the exact same from Brandon Saad. Yeah, he's he's only 27, even though he's won two Stanley Cups and played a whole bunch of playoff games already. Uh, but he's got a lot left in the tank, man. This guy's not a guy that is, you know, on the back end of his career. He's got two years on Nazem Kadri, who we know Kadri is the kind of player who needs a little bit of rest days and may not be healthy for a full season. I don't see that with Brandon Saad. He's just he's he's got another part of his career that he's ready to take on and ready to really become a difference maker on another Stanley Cup contending team. And that team is going to be the Avalanche. He did it twice with the Blackhawks. He was a big help and a refreshing change for the Blue Jackets as they sort of transitioned into a playoff team. And now he's going to be with the Avalanche exactly what he was with the Blackhawks, only five or six years older. Interesting that Joe Sackick was also able to weasel the Blackhawks keeping a, a million dollars of, of his salary, while a million's not Which much. Which is really important. Yeah, really exactly. Important. It made a big difference. It does. It makes a huge difference. It makes Sada a $5 million player, and it makes it possible to sign Taylor. I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it gives you that extra million dollars to say, uh, we need to re-sign Ryan Graves. We need to probably add another forward, be it Hall or a depth guy. Uh, we need to add another defenseman. I mean, there's still talks that the Avalanche want to bring in another depth defenseman in the $3, 4000000 million range. So does that mean going out and signing what's left in the UFA market, like a Travis Hamanick? Or does that mean going out and trading Tyson Jost for maybe Dennis Savard out in Columbus or a player of that ilk that makes around the 3 to $4 million range? Or does it mean giving the, the, the job to Timmins or Byram, which I wouldn't be opposed to, but at the same time, you do want to add some depth around that. Uh, regardless, that extra million in this day and age with the flat cap and with a team as good as this, that extra million is going to be a big difference. Uh, even if it means going into the season with a million left of uh, free cap space and the ability to make moves in season or at the deadline when needed without being stranglehold, you know, without having a stranglehold of money because you're at the top of the cap. Also coming with Brandon Saad was Dennis Gilbert, or is it Denis Gilbert? I don't know. I'll admittedly come out and say, I don't <laughs> know much about this guy. Do you? It's Dennis Gilbert. And uh, all I remember of Dennis Gilbert is that he was a player that when the Avalanche and the Blackhawks were playing back-to-backs last December, uh, in 2019, Seabrook was injured, I believe, at the time, and Gilbert was playing on a pair with Duncan Keith, and he looked like a really good, unpolished young defenseman. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and create a whole, a whole bunch of expectations for a player like that. He's already just from the short games, the the few games that I've seen him play, he's already going to be more effective than Anton Lindholm, and that's no disrespect to Lindholm. He just hasn't really amounted to anything. 
But the most important thing with Dennis Gilbert is his career is going to go one of two ways with the Avalanche. And obviously, it's very easy to see the two sides of you know recent acquisitions. Colorado acquired Callie Rosen from Toronto. And it was, oh, this guy's got a lot of potential. He's got the ability. He's got this, that, blah, blah. He played a few games. He was traded back to Toronto for Michael Hutchinson. Didn't really amount to anything. And then there's a guy on the other end of the spectrum who was traded for Chris Bigra, who came in, had little to no NHL experience, and suddenly is a top-pairing guy going to arbitration. And, of course, we're talking about Ryan Graves. So is Dennis Gilbert going to be your next Ryan Graves? Is he going to be your next Callie Rosen? Or is he going to be somewhere in the middle, likely in the middle? Uh, But what is he going to shift more towards is what I want to know. Only time will tell, right? But as far as Brandon Saad is, as far, as far as Brandon Saad goes, just expect a lot of backdoor tap-ins and just being wowed by how smart of a player he is, right? He's the type of guy that works smarter, not harder, and he just puts himself in easy positions to just, just you know, feed off of the skilled guys, the uh, the superstars. He does a great job at that, and so I just think he's uh, he's very smart, very skilled, and, and hopefully he breaks his career highs here with the Avalanche. Yeah, and he's, his career high is 31 goals, and he's six foot one. He plays a lot bigger than his size actually shows, like Kadri, like Matt Calvert, mm-hmm. like those kind of scrappy players, and Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman, who you know are the two examples that literally every GM around the NHL is going to look at right now and talk about. Uh, the other cool thing about Brandon Saad is his last name is Saad. He has a Middle Eastern last name. His dad is Syrian, and Kadri and Saad make up two-thirds of the Avalanche's second line. They were both acquired after I got this job to cover the Avalanche. And it's kind of surreal to me. You wouldn't understand it as much because I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, and I went to Fortson High School. And I went to school with a lot of guys with the last, a lot of guys and girls with the last name Saad and the last name Kadri. And the fact that two thirds of the Avalanche's second line is made up of those names is kind of mind boggling to me. It's fascinating, but it's really cool. And they're both the same exact type of player that you would expect from 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 somebody with that last name, being that they're very hard-nosed, physical players that will get feisty. in your face. Feisty, <laughs> exactly. And that's what I think of when I think of last names like Saad and Kadri, and that's what those guys are going to provide for the Avs. So it's, it's just it's awesome to have him on board, whether it's for a season or whether he ends up re-signing. Uh, good job by Joe Sackett going out and you know, going completely off the board with somebody that nobody ever thought would be a possibility within the division and building and bringing him in and building this value off of Nikita Zadorov, who, no disrespect to him, had completely lost his spot in the Avalanche lineup. We've been saying it for months. And to go out and use him to bring in Brandon Saad is just excellent work by Joe Sakic. RIP to Matt Nieto, the last of our Hispanic last names, right? I'd be excited if they can bring in more. But let's look at the flip side of the trade, and that's one of our Russian last names with Nikita Zadorov being sent to Chicago. Um, you know, he's a loss in some physicality. He's a loss in intimidation, and he's a loss in the locker room. But from a purely hockey perspective, the Avs got rid of a weaker link on the team and added a stronger link. So no matter how much you like or hate Zadorov, either way, everybody, I think, is happy with the trade. You know, it, it stings for some Zadorov fans, and it – you know, it's a moment to celebrate for those who uh, were critical of Zadorov's game. But either way, I think everybody can agree that the one-for-one swap makes the Avalanche a better team. And that's the coolest thing about this trade is a lot of people love Zadorov, and rightfully so. He's a heck of a personality, great in the locker room, just a funny, cool, very mature guy. His game just didn't grow and develop to the place where you wanted it to. He seemingly plays the same game at 25 that he did at 20 or 21, where you're saying he's a little bit unpolished and just needs to work on a few things. But five years later, he's still trying to work on those things. 
But regardless, he is a fan favorite. People love him. And what's really cool about this trade is the general consensus around Twitter from fans and players alike is this sucks. We're losing him, but we understand why. This is a good trade, but we're going to miss you. And and that just goes to show how good a job Sakic did with this trade. Because when do you ever make a trade and not have somebody saying that was a terrible trade? Never. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool part about this is that Joe Sakic went out there and made a deal where literally the entire NHL world is like, you're a magician. <laughs> it's like uh, we've seen a couple of the mainstream media guys say that if if I were a GM and Joe Sackick was calling me, I'd hang up the phone, right? It's funny to yeah. kind of picture that scenario. And, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Mr. Bowman, this is Joe Sackick. Uh, and just click. It's just funny uh, picturing that in my head. But, you know, it's funny with Zadorov how polarizing he was. There's really two stances on Zadorov. You either loved him or hate him. And I think there's merit to both sides. But that being said, you know, the fact that there is merit to the critics tells you that there was room to improve and that he is, in fact, expendable. So if you're going to get better with the piece brought in, uh, you got to do it, which is exactly what, what unfolded. Yeah, and it's, it's again, it's, it's just a trade that it makes a lot of sense. It's something that, okay, so basically the reason why I'm tripping over my words here is I'm really curious to see what Joe Sakic does next to replace Zadorov in the lineup. And that's not to say that, you know, Zadorov's gone, what are you going to do? And I'm sitting here like trying to judge Joe based off his next move, but I'm actually legit curious. Do the Avalanche feel Connor Timmons is ready? I do. But do they? Uh, do the Avalanche feel like Bowen Byram should get his opportunity? Is Dennis Gilbert going to be a number seven defenseman or is he going to be just an AHL guy? Uh or are you going to go out? And, or is it going to be Denis Gilbert? Yeah. Or are you going to go out and acquire somebody, be it through trade or free agency? Yeah, you got to feel bad for Zadorov too. The way the Blackhawks kind of received him, right? They're a little bit pissed off, not just with the addition of Zadorov, but also the sending off of Corey Crawford. So you you got to feel bad that that's kind of his first impression with his new team. Yeah, it's an unfortunate spot for Zadorov because he went through all of these years with the Avalanche. He was obviously part of the O'Reilly trade, and he went through all of these years with the Avalanche to finally be on a team that's a contender, someone that's actually going to battle for the Stanley Cup. And here you go, he gets traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. You mean the Blackhawks that are the dynasty that have won three cups? Yes, but that was 2015 and now it's 2020. So the amount of years that it took the Avalanche to shift into a contender, well, the Blackhawks have went the opposite way. They did not re-sign Corey Crawford. They ultimately dumped Brandon Saad. They didn't even replace Crawford. They're going to go with Dalia and Malcolm Subban in net next year, and they're going to give a prospect whose name is escaping me right now an opportunity. They're going all in on the tank. And there was an article today from The Athletic's Mark Lazarus saying that Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith ha are completely caught off guard by what has just happened. They are not happy. They are pissed. They are upset. And, you know, they finally got a taste of the playoffs again, albeit a five-game series against Vegas. And suddenly they're going to be a bottom feeder team and they are not They are not happy. And Zadorov has got to join a team like that, which sucks for him. But he's a happy guy. He's a fun guy. And he'll find a way to, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. And like you, you're... Like you tweeted the other day, and I think that was a pretty strong tweet. I think you were the first person to really point that out. Suddenly there were a wave of very similar tweets, but basically they, in essence, turned Artemi Panarin, who that the superstars, namely Patrick Kane, loved to skate with, helped his game, helped contribute to his stats offensively, to Brandon Saad, who was a little bit more disappointing than Artemi Panarin, of course, because Artemi Panarin's a stud, and now it's turned into Nikita Zadorov. I mean, that's just an obvious trend in the wrong direction. Yeah, and I remember when the trade was made, Panarin for Saad, 
uh, there was a lot of talk around there from people that have, you know, that are connected with the Blackhawks saying that it was actually Taves and Kane that went out and told Stan Bowman that they want Brandon Saad back on this team. I don't think they expected it to be for Panarin because Panarin had been doing what he was doing for a couple years with uh, Patrick Kane. Coincidentally, with their sentiment being Artemi, uh, uh, Artem Anisimov, who was acquired by the Blackhawks the first time they traded away Brandon Saad. The guy's 27. He's been traded to or from the Blackhawks three times now, and the Blackhawks have lost the trade all three times, including the one time that he was the one being acquired. Uh, so it's a little bit fascinating. It's kind of funny. Um but now they just seem to be going on this. Uh, they finally have had that moment where they said, we need to tank and we need to go for a high pick because nobody believes Malcolm Subban is going to become an NHLer. Uh, if anything, he might do as good as what Peter Budai did for the Avalanche 13 years ago, and that wasn't much. So it's ultimately a move from the Blackhawks and from Stan Bowman saying, we're throwing in the towel, we're throwing in the white flag, it's time to rebuild. Hopefully for them, being uh, Keith and Taves and Kane, especially Keith, who's 37, it could be a quick rebuild. But I just I don't know. When I look at that roster, I don't see it being quick. And I think it says something about how disappointed those guys are that a guy like Saad is leaving, right? To obviously, he's a big locker room guy and gets along with all the guys pretty well. But I think the uh, Chicago Blackhawks are going to be pleasantly surprised with Nikita Zadorov's antics and kind of what he brings in his presence oh, to the locker room. Him. They're going to love him. He's he's just an absolute delight. I, I can't say that enough. Absolutely, guys. Well, now it's time to take a break before we get into the other free agency moves to talk about DraftKings. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To, to add to the excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook is still bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, Head to the App Store right now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. On top of that great sign-up offer, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. Don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. That could be over tonight, though. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code MHS to get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 thousand dollars for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I know last week before the draft and before free agency, the Avalanche were given the best odds by all the big uh, sports books for being the Stanley Cup, uh, con- uh, the, the the best odds for winning the Stanley Cup this year, I should say, at a plus 800 number. Uh, I'm really curious what the next, what this past week has done to those numbers, bringing in Brandon Saad and seeing what other teams have done. Because how many teams, I said this yesterday on your radio show, how many teams that are contenders have brought in big names. We're expecting Vegas to bring in Petrangelo. And then again, St. Louis brought in Krug, but that was to replace Petrangelo. So that's a step back. And then the Avalanche brought in Brandon Saad. There really isn't a lot of big names. Craig Smith signed in Nashville, you know, a depth guy that scores 20 something goals. But how many actual contenders brought in big names? And this year, not many. 
Yeah, I mean, you look around the Central Division, especially. The Central Division's been very quiet, and I think the Avalanche, uh, you know, they're loving I know it. I have a little bit of bias. I think they're winning out of the Central Division oh, offseason so far. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, going along with uh, the live radio show that Ryan Bolding and I do every Saturday on Mile High Sports, check it out. You uh, also joined us, and we talked a little bit about the Burakovsky signing, which went down yesterday. We talked about how it was kind of a no-brainer for both sides. Um, I was just curious why the short term. We saw it was a two-year deal for just under $5 million a year AAV. What, why, do you, why do you think they went with the short term there? I think the Avalanche are okay with the short term, with a player who I trust is going to be a player and an important player for the next five plus years and is going to be productive. But I think the Avalanche are, are saying, let's kick this can down the road for two years and see what happens with the cap. Because we're all expecting and we're all talking about the salary cap going on the rise in a couple seasons, but we just don't know. GMs don't know. And while other teams are are tying their, are, are putting themselves in a spot where they're taking a risk by signing long deals and, and big money deals, the Avalanche are saying, we're in a good cap situation Let's wait a couple years. And if that means in a couple years, instead of, let's say, locking up Burakovsky long-term right now for five and a half, in a couple years, we have to give him another contract at six and a half, that one million is worth it considering the risk and reward that comes with not knowing if the cap is going to go up. I think the Burakovsky contract changed immensely because of what's happening around the league right now. And I'll give you another reason why I say that. If this was a year ago, I certainly think that Miko Rantanen would have gotten the two-year deal Burakovsky just got. Not the same dollars, but instead of locking him up long-term, they would have said, let's kick this Miko thing down the road for two years while we see what happens. Uh, otherwise, I think Burakovsky would have gotten four, five, six years. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment because that was going to actually be my next point. It, it seems like not only is the dollar amount there fair, but I'd say even maybe even a little bit low. So it makes sense for them to circle back yeah. in two years and be like, all right, let's talk about that six to seven that we were discussing two years ago in 2020 after COVID. So what you say makes absolute sense. And, you know, the crazy part is a lot of people don't realize or not they don't realize this, but a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people underestimate just how good Burakovsky was in the playoffs. One playoff year being a point-per-game player does a lot for an, an unrestricted free agent, does a lot for somebody who is a restricted free agent and is up for a new deal. Last year in 2019, McKinnon had 13 points in 12 games, being the five-game series against Calgary and the five and the seven-game series against the Sharks. I know McKinnon, what he did this year was completely off the rails and you know took off. Burakovsky in 15 games this year, so you're you're including you know the same five and seven plus the three game round robin had seven goals and ten assists. He had 17 points in 15 games. Burakovsky had a more productive 2020 playoffs than McKinnon did in 2019 when we were talking about how he was pretty much destroying the Sharks and the Flames. We can't underestimate just how much that does for his contract value and and what that does because you know. Back in April, May, June, when there was no hockey, we were talking about Burakovsky. Yeah, he'll sign a long-term deal. Four years, $18 million, four and a half. Everybody's happy. After a playoff like that, to only get him at five point, what is it, four? Or sorry, 4.9 or whatever it is, that's a hell of a deal. And it's it's a great job by Joe Sackick. Right. He has that certain intangible that's just he's clutch and clutch moments, right? And that's something you can't really predict and can't really, I guess, measure, like I said. But if you can score him at the same price as somebody comparable, just not as clutch, maybe similar with points, you're obviously coming out ahead because there's there's just no premium you could pay for a guy that says, all right, I'm going to come out 
when I when my team needs me needs me the most, and that's exactly what Burakovsky does. So I think you just there's there's no price on that. So it, it's nice to lock him up at, at kind of a price that's yeah. going to be a deal when you compare it to around the league. But the other uh, news and free agent that the Avalanche were able to lock up, Val Nichushkin, not a guy we expected to see back. It's nice to see him come back, of course, but hopefully, in my opinion, a sense of security kind of heightens his game rather yeah. than he gets complacent and comfortable and suddenly you see a dip. Yeah, you want to see somebody like him succeed, and it was no disrespect to him, obviously, when we said that he's, you know, we don't want to see him coming back, and that was simply because Nichushkin's the type of guy that will excel in a top six role, mainly, kind of a top nine role and right now when I look at the avalanche lineup and I see the third line you know assuming this whole Taylor Hall dream doesn't happen which I know I'm you know blowing smoke out of my ass Taylor Hall is likely not coming to the Avs um god I'd love to eat those words <laughs> but now you're looking at a third line and this is with the assumption Jost gets traded which I'm still confident with uh you're looking at a third line of Donskoy, Comfort, and Nichushkin and I feel like it's missing a little bit of fire. It's missing somebody who can play a more physical game. And that's why the idea of Taylor Hall in the top six and Brandon Saad on that third line is just like, oh, yeah, bring it, bring it. I want to see that. Um, but ultimately, that's what the Avalanche signed him to be. A third line winger making two and a half million playing with Comfort and with Donskoy. Uh, a very well-rounded defensive line. A very good two-way line that could pinch in offensively. Uh, and I like the number. It just goes to show what the market has become has be become with the flat cap, in the sense where if you got Nachushkin at two point five, look at your third line. You look at your fourth line. Matt Calvert makes two point eight seven five, and he likely won't see that on his next deal if the NHL doesn't turn this around financially. Two part question for you here: If Taylor Hall miraculously does end up on the avalanche and Saad slides down to that third line. If you're Brandon Saad, are you a little bit pissed off? And from the avalanche perspective, isn't maybe that a little bit of a waste of Brandon Saad throwing him down on third line limited minutes? And secondly, is Tyson Jost kind of that X factor here, that variable? If Taylor Hall comes, Tyson Jost is gone. If Taylor Hall stay, doesn't come, Tyson Jost remains on the team. Do you kind of see it working out that way? So for the first part of your question, no, I don't think it's something that's going to piss off Brandon Saad for two reasons. Number one, uh, Brandon Saad, yes, he waived, his, or actually he had a partial no-trade clause and got traded to the Avalanche. This wasn't a UFA signing. This wasn't the Avalanche going out and saying, Saad, come sign with us for one year, $5 million. We'll guarantee you a top six spot. We traded for you. You come here. You do what we ask of you. That's the nature of the business. Uh Second reason why I don't believe that that would be a waste is because Tampa Bay's third line was just... The two guys I mentioned, Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman, and the centerman of that third line was Yanni Gord, who makes $5.625 million. That's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. It takes three strong lines, and if you have one guy on that third line making $5 million, so be it. If it's only for a year, it's not a huge deal. You have the cap space for it, so be it. Brandon Saad on the third line would be excellent, and this is something that we need to continuously talk about because you and I talked about it a lot when we were sitting there trying to spitball these line combinations during the return to play training camp. Injuries happen, and with this team, far more than usual. So when I look at an acquisition like Brandon Saad, when I look at an acquisition like uh, Valerie Nichushkin, or I should say signing of Valerie Nichushkin, I look at guys that when injuries happen, are you comfortable with them playing in the top six? That's kind of kind of, kind of of why I preferred Nemesnikov to Nechushkin is because they can both play that third line solid two-way game. But I'm a little bit more comfortable with saying, all right, Nemesnikov, you're going to play on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen because we have injuries. 
rather than uh, Nichushkin. So that's another reason why uh, it's absolutely not a waste. That would be a hell of a line to have Donskoy, Comfer, and uh, Brandon Saad on your third line. You're killing it. Yeah, you can never have too many insurance players, right? Especially on this team, like you said. Now, how about the Jost scenario I brought up? So the Jost scenario to me, the X factor for Jost is not Taylor Hall. The X factor for Jost was Nichushkin. And if you're Joe Sakic, you're saying we have Valerie Nichushkin, we have Tyson Jost. Both of them are likely going to slot into a third line role. Uh, we can't afford to bring both of them back. We're going to bring one of them back. We can't afford it financially and we can't afford it in terms of style of play. Because if you bring back Nichushkin, which they have now, again, let's assume Taylor Hall doesn't come back. Uh, you have a fourth line spot that still needs to be filled. And I believe it will be filled by free agency unless they want to give it to Logan O'Connor. Uh, and then you have the 13th forward spot. Are you really going to make Tyson Joseph 13th forward? Not likely. I think they would much rather have their 13th forward be a, be a rugged. The guy that I wanted was Kyle Clifford, according to Twitter. He just signed with the St. Louis Blues for two years. Uh, and it's it's just one of those things where I don't think they would want Nichushkin and Jost both back. They would rather bring one of them back and then you know replace the other one with a more powerful, uh, in-your-face type of depth forward. And uh, on top of that, Tyson Jost automatically becomes trade bait. And that brings us to Ryan Graves heading to arbitration. Obviously, the Avalanche offer that they gave him, he felt like he's worth a little bit more and that the Avalanche were perhaps low-balling him a little bit. What are you reading into that situation? What do you see coming out of it? I think he's going to end up getting a one- or two-year deal be it from the avalanche or be it from an arbitration award. Uh, you know, like many of these arbitration hearings, before it gets to the actual hearing, the team and player usually go out and uh, settle it before that. And if the avalanche and O'Reilly can do it, then the avalanche and Graves can do it. So I think the disconnect here is Ryan Graves thinking, I've proven my worth. Give me a six, seven-year deal like Gerard, like Travis Hamannick had, like Matthias Ekholm had. You know, that three and a, three and a half to four and a half million dollar range. And I think for Joe Sackick, it's let's not rush on this. Maybe Ryan Graves is not the guy that's going to play with McCarr for six, seven years. I, I don't see why he, I mean, I don't see why you shouldn't trust Graves' game, but I don't see why you should commit to it. Ryan Graves is a great defenseman. Uh, if he signs a two-year deal at six and a half million or seven million, making you know three point two, three point five million per season, which is ultimately what Zadorov just made, that's a great deal. But in a couple of years from now, things could be far different, and Kale McCarr is not playing with Ryan Graves, and he slowly finds his way shifting down the lineup. And we saw how effective he was when McCarr was injured. What makes you automatically say Graves is going to be a six, seven, eight-year defenseman? You don't want to end up with what Toronto ended up with Nikita Zaitsev, where they give him a seven-year deal, and after the first year, they're like, this is a terrible contract. And I think that's what Joe Sackick's doing. Exactly. I think Joe Sackick's telling him, hey, let's pump the brakes here, kid. You exceeded expectations, and that's great. We know you did great on plus-minus. You were right there next to Kale McCarr. But in our plans, we have replacements for you. Let's not get ahead of ourselves and, and you know give you a contract that we might later regret, which from Ryan Graves' standpoint, can't sit well. It's got to leave a bad taste in his mouth, but he's got to face reality, and that's just what it is. I mean, we've talked about the plethora of defensemen the Avalanche have in the pipeline. What are you going to commit to one guy who had one great year for and overcommit and suddenly find yourself maybe in a, in a bad situation in a couple of years? I mean, just a few minutes ago, I talked about a situation with Andre Burakovsky, who is somebody who 
they likely will trust and I trust as being a productive player and they didn't want to commit to him because of the landscape of what's going on around the league. So why would you commit to somebody who you probably don't trust as much as Burakovsky? You need to give Graves a a two-year deal, let him prove it, and if that means he becomes a five and a half, six million dollar defenseman in a couple years and out of the Avalanche's uh, pay range, then so be it. So be it. He deserves it. He should get that deal, and if he can't with the Avs, he will get it elsewhere. Uh, If in a couple years from now, you and I are recording this, and... uh, I have to sit there and explain to you that the Avalanche need to find a way to rid themselves of the Eric Johnson deal to give Ryan Graves $6 million. That means he did something damn good, and he's young, and he deserves it. Uh, but at this point in time, just like Burakovsky, you just can't commit to that big number. You can't commit to the big term because you don't know what's going to happen over the next 24 months. That being said, I know you touched on it a little bit, but let's get a little bit deeper if you like. Anyone else do you see them targeting right now? Perhaps a defenseman? I mean... They're getting up there in cap space and aren't like aren't traditionally known for spending. So I, I kind of think that they're slowing down and, and might not make any big moves, um, at least not any notable ones that we're going to have to stop what we're doing and record another podcast for. But what do you see them doing the rest of the free agency t- time here? I truly believe they're going to sign a big name free agent defenseman. And I use the word big loosely because that could simply be uh, Travis Hamanick, which, yeah, is a big name. Um, you know, I'm sitting here trying to buy time because I'm pulling up cap friendly. Da, da, da. Travis Cody Hamanick Cici. has been a guy, a guy that's been floated around the avalanche for a for long a while. Time. Yes, for a long time. Sammy Vatanen is a free agent. Uh, Andy Green is very old. Jonathan Erickson is even older. You have Hamanick. You have Ron Hainsey, who's the oldest of the bunch. Trevor Daly, very old. Uh, Brandon Manning, Matt Hunwick, 35 years old. Holy moly. Um, but you, you you basically get what I'm, you know, you, you see what I'm getting at is there isn't many more options left in free agency. I think the only one that I would be cool with is uh, Travis Hamanick or even Jan Ruta out of Tampa Bay. He was a good depth defenseman there. Um, but at that point, you're sort of just scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find what you can. I think with a player like Hamannick, considering he's the only big name left and hasn't signed yet, uh, it's getting to the point with him where he's going to have to accept a deal for a lot less money than he was hoping. And that might be $2 million, that might be 2 and a half, and that might be the exact type of money that the Avalanche say, hell yeah, let's take advantage of this. Uh, if you asked me two days ago before Friday, or well, let's say three days ago before the Friday free agency took off, who I would have wanted... Uh, you know, in, with hindsight of knowing what they signed for, I would say Radko Gudis at two and a half million looks tasty. Uh, but obviously, he's going off to the Florida Panthers, uh, which is why I like their summer so much. But Travis Hamannick, and if not him, I think Tyson Jost will be used as trade bait to bring in somebody, be it David Savart uh, from Nashville, uh, not Nashville, Columbus, or somebody of that kind of stature. Right. Last thing you want to do is not fill that position, and then suddenly you're left with just Bowen Byram and Connor Timmons and have to throw them to the yeah. fire. I mean, there's a good chance that they both respond well, but on the off chance that you need to scratch one of them, you got to have somebody in there to, to hold down the fort, right? I just can't foresee the Avalanche going through what they went through this year with injuries and on their blue line and saying we need less bodies than more bodies because at this point you've lost Barbario, Kanaten, and Zadorov, and you've only added Dennis Gilbert. Dennis Gilbert replaces one of Kanaten and Barbario being your number seven and your number eight. Who replaces the number six and the number five? Is it going to be Timmons and Byram? Because those are bodies you already had. So that's not a replacement. It's just a shift. So I just can't foresee Sakic saying, 
we went through all of this only to go with less bodies, less NHL uh, dependable bodies than what we had a year ago. And that point right there is why I thought the Tyson Berry rumors did make sense. You saw a lot of people immediately shun that idea and say, oh, well, he's already been replaced on the power play. They have no room for him. But with the way this season went, you can't have enough extra options, right? And that's why I thought if you can get him on a short deal at a good deal and, you know, he can liven up that locker room and bring some more of that positive juju that he has, then, you know, I was all for it. I was a little bit bummed to see way- him go to Edmonton, but it is what it is. Yeah, with the way the season went, with the fact that Makar got injured a couple times, uh, and with the fact that we're about to play a very, very... Uh, it's going to be a tough schedule next year. The Avalanche and the NHL are going to play 48, 60, or 82 games in a very short period of time. It's going to be very compressed. It's going to be very hard and very taxing, which is why teams are going out and deploying a two-goalie system, because you need it. You're truly going to need it this year. And uh, with the amount of injuries we saw in the return to play for the Avalanche, why would we expect anything less than that during the regular season this upcoming year and the playoffs? So, yes, you do need those bodies because suddenly when Kale McCarr gets injured, your second power play unit has Eric Johnson on it. And we're not talking Eric Johnson of five years ago. We're talking Eric Johnson of now who shouldn't be on the power play. So I get the Tyson Berry thing. Um, I just, like I said yesterday when I spoke with you in Boulding, it's not about... Tyson Barry being a good fit for the Avalanche. It's about the Avalanche being a good fit for Barry. And the fact that he's the number three power play guy, or, you know, maybe number two in front of Gerard on this team just doesn't make sense for him. Uh, he would be the number two guy on Vancouver. Doesn't make sense for him. in Edmonton with Oscar Clefbaum out for the year makes a hell of a lot of sense. So I could see why he made that decision for himself. I wonder if Nathan McKinnon shot him a text and said, what the heck, bro? I thought you were coming home. We could have used you. <laughs> and, and I'm not fully sold on uh, Sam Girard. I know I, I am a lot, pretty pessimistic about him a lot of times, and I beat him up. I think he's got a lot of value, but a lot like your Nikita Zadorov point, I just haven't seen that Sam Girard growth. I feel like he's still the same player that he was when he first got to Colorado. He still has exquisite skating abilities. I like his puck decisions, but I don't see him getting better on the defensive end like we've needed him to. I think... <sighs> I I go back and forth on that argument. It's it's hard to really say. I mean, this year he had 34 points in 70 games, which is pretty good. You're operating at 40 points in a season. He had 30 assists. He had that 11 assist uh, period of time where he had 11 assists in eight games, a four assist game. He puts up a lot of points, uh, but his defensive inconsistencies are kind of, they're glaring. Uh, and he's still young. That's the thing. He's 22. He's, I know he's. we've been saying this for a couple of years, but to have a defenseman that jumps into the NHL at 19 is not the norm. It is not. He's only 22. If this was Ryan Graves, who the Avalanche acquired at 21, 22, 23, whatever he was, and he's still not developing, that's a different story. If it's Zadorov, who's 25, that's a different story. But he's still just 22 years old. Uh, man, he's small. <laughs> 5'10", 170. It sounds, it sounds exactly... Like if Hockey Mountain High was recording back when Tyson Berry was 22, we'd have this exact same conversation about him. So I guess for that reason, you don't really need to have two of the exact same player. I mean, it worked out for Henrik and Daniel Sedin. But other than that, uh, you know, you don't really need to have two of the same guy on on the defense. I feel feel a little worried about you calling Daniel and Henrik the same player. One was a scorer. One was a playmaker. They looked the exact same. But damn. No, I'm just kidding. I... 
Sam Gerrard also in the playoffs had one goal, nine assists, 10 points in 15 games. That's pretty damn good. Uh, granted, a lot of players on the avalanche like Burakovsky had good numbers, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, their stats were inflated because they were on a good team. The stats of everybody on the avalanche were inflated because the avalanche are a good team because of guys like Gerard and Burakovsky. They are the reason why everybody's numbers are inflated. They are part of that reason. They didn't just get plopped into here. It's like when people make that argument and say, oh, if it wasn't for Sam Gerard having those 11 assists in eight games, he would have just been a 20, a 19 point player or 20 point player. It's like, well, we didn't give him a head start by saying you're going to start the season. with. He earned those 11 assists. He's the one that got them. Uh, so I just never liked that argument. Um, it took so him a while to get going, if you remember. You know, he's it did. kind of it got did. some inconsistencies to him. It did. His inconsistencies are kind of glaring. But what's cool about him is, if I ask you right now, Sam Gerrard is a $5 million defenseman. Is it worth it? The answer is yes. He's a he's worth being a $5 million defenseman, and he's under contract for that starting this season for the next seven years. So whatever he does more than what he already is, is a bonus. It's going to be a bonus. If Sam Gerrard ends up growing into a top-pairing defenseman, granted it likely wouldn't be a good idea to have Gerrard and McCarr playing on the same line because they would get eaten alive by Patrick Maroon. <laughs> um, but if Sam Gerrard ever grows into something better than what he already is, which is a pretty damn good player, it is a bargain on top of a bargain deal for the avalanche so i'm not too hung up over that because he's not by any means the number attached to his name which is what we judge players off of is a good number and it makes it easier to judge him it just would have been so heartwarming to see tyson berry but let's let's move on um and taylor hall let's look around to the rest of the nhl and look at kind of uh, the craziness that ensued i think the biggest talking point from what we've seen in this free agency and offseason so far has to be the goalie carousel Right, I mean, so many stud yeah. goalies, not just nobodies. These are former all stars stepping in into different teams and different roles, and you know we'll see how that pans out. But I wanted to get into the conversation of you know are goalies expendable now? Because I look at the NFL, and you know they are constantly in a problem that there aren't thirty people in the world that can play NFL quarterback. Well, it looks like it's the exact opposite problem in the NHL with goaltenders. Yes, that's a sounds, great. Sounds like great everybody point. can play NHL goalie now. I mean, and I, I'm going to mention this name and hope it, I, I can do it without it being like a joke, but even somebody like a Jimmy Howard was probably thinking going into free agency, uh, I think somebody will take a chance on me to be a backup. And Aaron Dell saying, I think somebody will take a chance on me to be a backup. Or Hutchinson saying, somebody will make me their third string goalie, surely. And these guys don't have jobs yet. And they're not even the biggest names without a job yet. It's The goalie market is fascinating. I love the... Uh, the musical chairs that was going on. And it's just one of those things where the music stopped, everybody jumped on a seat and the ones that didn't end up on a seat are like, shit, what do I do now? And that's kind of where we're at with, with those goalies left on the market. Yeah. You look around and, and you know, it's guys like Igor Shesterkin and Elvis Merzlikens who are just stepping up and coming and out of Sir nowhere Oaken for the and Islanders. Yeah, yep. And suddenly being this all-star stud. So uh, apparently a lot of guys have faith in their, you know, their prospect goaltending and think that they don't need to pay premium dollar for um, a goalie anymore. It sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I also think the Vegas golden Knights looked at this goalie market and said, damn, we're never trading flurry now. So I'm not too hung up over that because, well, you know what, Vegas, because of Flurry's two years at $7 million, in order for you to afford Petrangelo, you're going to have to get rid of Nate Schmidt. So let's go ahead and take that valuable defenseman off of your team. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm taking a lot of jabs at Vegas. I just don't like the way they do things. It seems very 
uh, un- like disloyal to all their guys. Um, speaking of which, Jeremy Rutherford, uh, big blues reporter for the athletic says that he's hearing a deal between Petrangelo and Vegas could be getting close. A decision slash announcement may come as soon as tonight. So what do you do if you're Vegas? Because you need to clear up cap space. You're likely going to trade Nate Schmidt. Uh, I could see him going to Winnipeg. Uh, I know Winnipeg's trying to trade Ross Levick. That's a cheap forward. I sort of just got off the rails. But the the point is, um, goalies are not getting the money that they once were. And at this point, Marc-Andre Fleury, even at 50% salary retained, how many teams are going to be lining up for $3.5 million of Marc-Andre Fleury when somebody like Holtby went for 4.3 and Crawford for 3.9 and Thomas Grice for, what was it, 3.6 with the Red Wings? No one's going to do that favor for the Vegas Golden Knights. They're lucky the Jets took Stastny off their hands. Why in the world would anybody take Fleury off their hands? You're going to have to sort of wiggle your way out of this one yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be have to have to be a desperate team. Like you pointed out, Chicago doesn't really have much of goaltending uh, in their future. And there's a couple other teams. You look at the East, and there's a handful out there. Carolina, you look at uh, Edmonton, maybe they could still make a move for it. I know they just signed Mike Smith, but they're, they're in desperate need. There's got to be someone desperate enough to take Marc-Andre Fleury. It's the kind of thing for me that would happen midseason after an injury were to occur. So give it a week into the season once Francis uh, gets a puck to the neck or something and Grubauer tries to make a save and apparently tears his groin up uh the avalanche will come a calling for Mark andre Fleury hey I'd love it I'm all for it I'd love to see what kind of pad setup he'd have I know he loves those those full colored pads I wonder if he goes a full burgundy oh man that would look so cool beautiful I would love him here I still I can't get over the fact that I would love him here if Vegas wanted to do a switch of Francis for Flurry at half salary, I would do it. But then you're ultimately paying five point five million for Francis instead of seven for Flurry. And at that point, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you still need the cap space. What about elsewhere around the league? Are there any other notable moves that really stood out to you as exceptional moves by any certain teams out there? Exceptional isn't the word because there there wasn't an exceptional more exceptional market this year and i'm really curious to see what happens with the petrangelo deal uh because that's likely to happen by the end of today um that might be an exceptional deal i like the tory krug term and uh and dollar amount 6.6 uh but again he is 29 so the term maybe not so much um there really isn't many teams that made exceptional moves. When I was, you know, when I when I said yesterday, and get get your hand ready for the big boo. When I said the Red Wings have been having a good offseason, it's because they brought in guys like Troy Stetcher, Thomas Grice, <laughs> Bobby Ryan. Now they've signed Vladislav Nemesnikov. He will be going back to he will be going to the Red Wings where he grew up in Detroit. Um, but they brought him on these bargain deals that are just good moves. The Florida Panthers are another example. I said they've had a good offseason. They signed Alex Wenberg for 2.25. They signed Radko Gudis for 2.5. So it's those those lateral moves that are kind of been sort of the deals that have that have become the norm, which usually it's weird because usually those are the deals that eat up you, uh, the, the trade deadline period, not UFA period. Um, in the terms where the Stanley Cup champion is not the team that goes out and trades for Kevin Shattenkirk like the Capitals a few years ago or Ryan Miller like the Blues before that. The Stanley Cup champion was a team that went out and got depth guys like Goudreau and Coleman. And that seems to be what teams are doing this year, and that seems to be even what the Avalanche are doing. So when I look around the league, I don't see exceptional moves. I just see a a string of a bunch of good moves and some not-so-good ones. Last thing I wanted to get into before we wrap it up with all three of our usual 
wrap-up segments Woo-hoo. is the concept of the fake Twitter accounts. It's funny to me that they uh, have now become a mainstay and everybody has just kind of accepted the fact that, especially in this week of big scoops, that that's just part of hockey culture now. There's fake Twitter accounts breaking fake trades and fake, fake signings and uh, everybody kind of falls victim to them at one point or another. It's just It's just a weird subculture thing i guess it's like clockwork every trade deadline and every free agency period you have all the big reporters with the blue check mark going reminder to keep a lookout for any fake accounts if it doesn't have the blue check mark it's probably not real please make sure you double check it before you retweet comment or quote tweet these accounts because they are fake and please make sure you report them it's it's hilarious it's been going on for 10 years uh you know, Twitter tried to solve the issue with the blue check mark thing. Uh, I'm waiting for my first fake Arif Dean account so I can go out and tell Twitter, hey, you got to give me a blue check mark because there are some fake ones out there. So, uh, you know, I know the guy that runs that that owns Twitter is probably listening because everybody listens to our podcast. But JJ, if you want to make a fake account with my name and say the Avalanche signed Taylor Hall, that could be good ammo for me to get a blue check mark. I'm going to sabotage your entire career with that. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, when I first started Twitter. That was my Twitter name. It was at the real JJ. And then I was like, there's nobody trying to impersonate me. I need to think of a better one. <laughs> Out came JJ of the year. So uh, that br- at the real JJ sounds like something you should you should have that JJ Watt should create his username, not JJ, whatever your last name is, Jerez, <laughs> I think. Let's get to uh, wrapping this baby up. We're heading uh, close to an hour here. So that brings us to the social media moment of the week, which, Arif, you have prepared for us this week. Yeah, so there's quite a few options for me to choose from. Uh, And a lot of them are related. Well, all of them were related to the tweet that I sent out saying that Chicago has effectively turned Artemi Panarin into Nikita Zadorov. I'm going to give an honorable mention first to somebody who – responded to that tweet with a gif called the the oof meter and it's like a laundry a dryer set to large load and the oof meter is large and i thought that was funny but you know it's hard to really articulate that on a podcast like i just tried to do my two big winners are at rider 34 the name is ds capital d capital s and i said chicago has effectively turned artemi panarin into nikita zadorov and he responded is that good and it's just three very simple words to basically say what did you do chicago and the second one is at kt mac 90 kt mac 90 and the response was who are they going to trade to get sod back because they've already done it once. They traded Saad to the Blue Jackets. They got Anisimov. They got Marco Dano, a first rounder, et cetera, et cetera. And then they went ahead and reacquired him from the Blue Jackets and gave up Artemi Panarin. They lost the first trade by giving up Saad. They lost the second trade by reacquiring Saad. They've lost the third trade by trading Saad for Zadorov. So next summer, when Saad becomes a UFA, Sakic's going to sign him to a one year deal. And then I'm looking forward to flipping him to the Blackhawks for Alex to bring hit. He's going to look awesome on the Avalanche's second line. Uh, it's it's hilarious. So shout out to at KTMac90. Great tweet. Shout out to at Rider34. Shout out to the many people that have liked and retweeted that tweet because it's taken off and I'm loving the responses and just dunking on the Blackhawks is kind of funny. I love it. Thanks to those people for, uh, you know, interacting with us. But Arif, we got our wires crossed there. Maybe we, we just got to work on your listening skills. You did the Twitter fan highlight of the week there. I was asking for the social media moment Holy of the week. So. Holy crap. 
Uh, that's Look at me correcting you. So yeah, go oh, ahead and get boy. to the social media. Social moment. media yeah. moment of the week. So that was I went way too. D- you just let me go. I you did. Didn't even, what am you I going to do? You didn't even give me a chance to shut me up and say, let's edit this out. Oh, okay. <laughs> social media. Well, that was a good social media moment of the week, Duncan on the Blackhawks. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Now, our actual social media moment of the week is going to go to one Gabe Landeskog, who tweeted a nice heartfelt message to his former teammate, now former teammate, Nikita Zadorov. And it's just the most precious picture of Zadorov back when they were at the Air Force, wearing his shorts all the way up to his, you know, beyond his waist, looking like Steve Urkel, being hilarious. And Landeskog tweeted or posted on Instagram, gonna miss going to battle with you, big boy. Hashtag zaddy daddy. Zaddy daddy. Hashtag best car on the team. And you go through a couple photos. It's that picture of everybody laughing, having a good time at the Air Force Academy. It's a picture of Landeskog and Zadorov celebrating a goal in Nashville during the playoffs. It's a picture of Zadorov and Landeskog both pushing at Brett Ritchie of the Anaheim Ducks. And then it's a picture of Zadorov and Landeskog lined up at a face-off focus. And it's just a great tweet. Uh, Response from Zadorov says, love you, brother. Response from Tyson Berry saying, best player on the team, bud. And Eric Johnson saying, top three shot on the team. Uh, so you just love to see these guys take chirps at each other. Hashtag Zaddy Daddy. Shout out Gabe Landeskog. He's going to miss going to battle with the big boy, Nikita Zadorov. We're all going to miss him. He is a giant and uh, behind the man buns champion. That is Miko Rantanen. Nikita Zadorov's a close second. Can confirm. So I'm going to miss seeing that guy around too. It's going to be fun slash scary the first time they face off against the Blackhawks. Oh, you know he's going to be chip. coming for heads. <sighs> he's. You just know. It's like gonna, the... the He's it's take... like when McLeod got traded in his yeah. first game back. He he wanted to fight somebody. Jerome Ginley answered the bell. So I wonder if anybody's going to be crazy enough to Zidorov, fight him. You just no one's going to fight him, and you just know Zadorov's going to take three boneheaded roughing miners. One of them probably being for him and Landeskog chirping at each other because he's going to try to go after him. You just know his wires are going to cross. I'm I'm so excited for it. I hope this season mimics something normal and what we're used to, so we can see it at the Pepsi Center. I'd say fat chance that Zadorov's on the ice at the same time as Gabe Landeskog. It's probably going to be somebody more like Matt Calvert who gets into it with him. He'll get into it with anybody. Uh, yeah, but I mean, right now looking at the Blackhawks depth chart, Zadorov is their Kale McCarr, so he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. Yikes. Maybe that was a big motive for his move. But let's get to the three stars of the week. Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, and that's our friend Tyson Berry, who we've been talking about quite a bit here. Just good to see him land somewhere that's not Toronto. I think he clearly hated it there from the second he got there. I remember the look on his face when he was with Paul Bizanet the day he got traded, and it just looked like he saw a ghost. So I think from the time he started at Toronto to the second he got out of there, he hated every second of being there. So just good to see him. I mean, Edmonton's not more, I guess... um, forgiving as a market it's yeah. it's really not so, but it's still a better place than toronto so here's the thing um tyson berry did mention in his press conference the other day getting introduced with the oilers and on a conference call saying that the media in toronto is unforgiving and very very harsh and it is and it's true and it you know some players are not cut out for it clearly berry was not someone like kadri was a little bit more you know able to handle it um but I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening when he finds out what the Edmonton media is like. Because like you said, they are not too far behind. They are not very forgiving. Um, and especially considering that team has done 
yeah, they brought in Barry to replace Clefbaum, who's likely out for the season with an injury, but they brought back Mike Smith. They haven't done much else. Right now, looking at their depth chart, it looks like playing with Connor McDavid is going to be Tyler Ennis and Zach Cassian. What are you doing, Edmonton? What the hell are you doing? So I, I feel for Barry. I hope he goes in there, puts up 60, 65 points, assuming it's an 82-game season, which it won't be. But I put, I hope he scores at a 65-point clip over 82 games, gets his money next summer and gets the hell out of there, doesn't go back to Toronto and just finds a market like Denver where it's not the most pressure, but it's still enjoyable, good hockey. It's nice to just think that deep down in the back of Tyson Barry's mind, he misses us. Yeah. He misses me, he misses all the other guys in that press box. That we're we're all pretty friendly guys, and none of us are really uh, gonna be mean to anybody. You know, maybe that's kind of a, a detriment on the Avs media. Nobody wants to be harsh to these guys, but it, that's just the way the culture is up there, right? Nobody's trying to uh, piss anybody off, especially one of the players. So, uh, you know, deep down inside, he misses the Avs media. It, whether he misses, I mean, he clearly misses me. I've never covered a game. I mean, I've only covered one game, and that was the 2019 playoffs where he was part of. But, you know, it's not the media as much as it is refreshing to see players leave the avalanche and say, man, we're leaving something good. How long have we been waiting for that to be the case? Because Zadorov is right now going to Chicago going, God, so we got the big mirror thing downtown. What do they call it? The bean or whatever. And no mountains. He's so stupid. No mountains, no good weather, no sunny weather. Oh, and the hockey team sucks. Yo, and I also have to play in front of Chicago Blackhawks fans. Which, da, 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 da. Yeah, <laughs> which brings us perfectly to star number two. That's Nikita Zadorov. Shout man. out to you. He's just been a, a delightful guy. He's you know, sometimes he could be guy. a little bit of a prick. He's a little bit testy sometimes, but he was always there to to say something funny and to make jokes talk shit to somebody across the room and make it funny. He didn't care who was listening, right? So um, I think he's going to love being in a city like Chicago. I think that's kind of always what he wanted ever since coming to the U.S. He'd rather be in a big you know, city that he'd probably heard of before back in his youth. I, I don't think Denver is too big of a talking point. It might be nowadays, but back then, you know, not too many people were saying, oh, man, I'd love to go live in the big city of Denver. No, nobody's ever said that. You know, like we've been saying, he's he's a great personality. He's a funny guy. He's awesome in the locker room. He lightens the mood. He's just that guy that's just big, towering dude that hangs over everybody else, walking around in his spandex, just making dumb jokes with his hair sort of curled off to the side, looking like a pretty boy, just interrupting and butting into every press conference, every interview. He's just a fun guy to be around. Um, I'm already waiting for the Blackhawks Twitter to eat up the content with Zadorov because I feel like Zadorov and Patrick Kane are going to become butt buddies. Something about those two is just going to be like big man and his little friend, and they're just going to have a great time. Uh, and I'm excited for Zadorov. I'm excited to, for his now current teammates and you know who he's finally going to meet and play with because they're going to they're going to be in for a big surprise of just how awesome it is to have this guy. Maybe one day he can learn how to dunk finally. <laughs> that brings me to star number one. That's, of course, Brandon Saad. Brandon, I hope you've enjoyed listening to your first episode of Hockey Mountain High. Uh, we look forward to uh, you listening to a lot more. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited for him to take advantage of our DraftKings sponsorship. Uh, I'm excited for him to start tweeting at me so he can be our Twitter fan highlight rather than our social media. I can't believe you let me do that for five minutes. Damn. Um, 
I can't wait for whoever's listening to be like, wait, 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 this isn't the way, wait, 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 is he going to correct? Okay, there it is. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, shout out Brandon Saad. We're happy to have you on board, whether it's for a season or longer. Uh, let's go out and get a third Stanley Cup ring for your fingers to put on one of your other hands. That was a terrible way to say let's go <laughs> win a third Stanley Cup. Uh, but clearly we are ready to wrap up this baby, but shout out Brandon Saad. I'm really happy to see what he does. I will have to say, though, poor Connor Timmons. He already had to give up number 18 for Derek Broussard. Is he going to have to give up 20 for Brandon Saad? Because this I is the big... So. This is the important question that I would like to know. From a big guy like that, you know, he's made a lot of money in his career. I'd at least ask for a Rolex in exchange. Connor, yeah, Connor Timmons is just going to look at the locker room and just be like, I'll just go myself right now. Like, <laughs> I, I bleep myself out. Like, I, every time you guys bring somebody in, I got to give up my number. I'm just, who care, Who gives a crap about me? I'm just a second round draft pick. Yeah. So. Shout out Brandon Saad, number 20. I'm excited to see him on the apps. Yeah, excited for rings on the fingers and the, <laughs> the fingers. So that, this is, that's a good place to leave it for the week. Um, we'll see what else happens. Uh, we might may or may not come back in the middle of the week here for uh, some more news and, and Avs discussion. So that being said, thanks for joining us today. Of course, follow us on Twitter. Interact with us. See if you can one day be the Twitter fi- fan highlight of the week. At RunRightArif at JJ of the Year. Other than that, hockey's for everyone, and we at you. I just wanna roll.